Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're solution architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to AWS Tech Chat. It's episode 32. I'm Dr. Pete, and with me, I have Shane Bollaccino. Shane, how you doing? Fantastic, Pete. Always good to be back. It's been so long. I know it feels like forever, but uh, it's only been a couple of weeks. Um, and we've been pretty busy lately. We've been traveling on planes, trains, automobiles, and speaking at a whole lot of developer conferences, haven't we? We have. You know what? I think you missed ferries. I've been on a ferry. Have you? And so have I, in fact. We, uh, we both went to Macau recently. So uh, it was another interesting trip. Hello it to was. everyone in China. Hello. So uh, you were speaking um, at a recent conference in Melbourne, Dev Days, as well as the security uh, CloudSec in Sydney. You know what? It's been busy, um, but awesome. You know, it's actually great to, you know, spend time with fellow developers and mm-hmm. really convey, you know, how using a developer mindset can solve some of today's modern problems. Well, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, security attack vectors at the application level, you know, good old days of living at, uh, you know, layer four in a network stack. Uh, it's all now up the stack at layer seven and above, so to speak. Couldn't agree more. Given that modern day attacks mainly focus at the application layer, we need to change how we're dealing with security these days. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, I've also been speaking at the, um, I got the keynote at um, developer uh, conference called API Days in Melbourne. So hi to Sol, who's organized it, all of the folks that came along to hear us speak. So this episode is really going to be trying to tickle the inner geek, Shane. That's, uh, that's what we're about. We're trying to make sure that uh, we deliver lots and lots of interesting things. And uh, as Oli would say, with just a few lines of JavaScript, <laughs> you can probably change the physical world into the virtual world. And uh, in fact, that was also one of his presentations recently. It that was. He gave. Yeah, at uh, Dev Days, at the keynote. And look, as much as I don't want to tell him that I thought it was cool. It was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, I hope you're listening, buddy. All right. Well, look, uh, without any further ado, let's let's hop into the episode, so to speak. So as you guys know, there's a lot of activity inside AWS. And uh, as always, we kick off the episodes uh, with a few interesting things. Uh, and certainly summits are the place to be if you want to learn more about what's going on in the AWS cloud space. So uh, if you want to head out and see some of the uh, other solution architects and other cloud participants and enthusiasts, we have a few more summits running, Shane. All around the world. Yeah. Do you want to tell us where some of these may actually be occurring? All right. We're in Atlanta on September 13, Toronto on September 20, Shenzhen in also on September 20, and the Canberra Summit in Australia on September 11th and 12th. And for those Australians who are going to be there, I'll be presenting. So be sure to pop in and come and say hi. If you can't make it to an in-person event, don't worry. And you'll just search for AWS events in your favorite search engine. And you'll find a plethora of webinars in your local time zone from topics ranging from, you know, maybe how to build a .NET serverless chatbot through to maybe how to build a well-architected application. In your presentation, um, you do talk a, a little bit about um, the global infrastructure, the global footprint, uh, and things like CloudFront. Um, do you want to give us a quick and snappy update on where we're actually at with our global footprint? It's big, Pete. That's the snappy it's update, huge, right? Yep. Whilst there's no new regions to announce, our edge locations continue to grow. You know, at the start of the year, it was 100. Not long after that, it was 110, then 115. And I don't know where time has gone, but obviously we're pretty good at getting these edge locations out there because we're now at 134. We've added a 
bevy of new pops in North America, Europe, Asia, as well as the Nordics. So that's that's a that's a interesting place. It's a very cold place. Uh, yeah, interesting place to run perhaps data centers. Uh, your cooling bills are going to be lower than anywhere else, perhaps. Mm, sure. So look, uh, guys, in this episode, we were thinking of uh, uh, working along a couple of uh, you know major things. So we're thinking of maybe there might be about six or so quick wins where you know you can walk away from this episode where we potentially can save you some money uh, and maybe also some time. Um, so the, the the first one of these, fundamentally, um, the first quick win from us would be perhaps some of the changes in the uh, Elastic Compute Cloud, which is our virtual machines. Um, and uh, Shane, do you want to talk, to talk to us a little bit about some of the new virtual machines that are now out there available uh, for our customers to uh, spin up and uh, go for a test drive? Yeah. So quick win number one is really update your instances as AWS changes. And whilst we love engaging with our customers and you know, talking through modern serverless architectures, using all the toys that AWS offers. The reality is for most organizations, EC2 is the cornerstone. So we've released three new instance types to our family of EC2 mm-hmm. since we spoke last. Okay. What so are you these? just mentioned yeah. R5, Pete. Yeah, indeed. So that is one of them. So look, the R series are our EC2 instances that are memory optimized, you know, designed to deliver really fast performance for workloads that have large data sets in memory. And these could be workloads such as relational databases, or it could be a NoSQL database. It could be web scale caches, you know, such as a Redis or Memcached that need to store their cache in memory. It could also be an in-memory database, which, you know, everyone's favorite, SAP HANA. Oh, yeah. What they also offer in the R5 series is a sustained core frequency of up to 3.1 gigahertz, and we now offer up to 50% more vCPUs and 60% more memory over the R4. So you can get some really large instances in the R series that may you know, suit your needs rather than potentially maybe having to require like an X series. Okay. So Shane, so if, I was to, if I'm sitting on R4s right now and I move to the R5s, what are some of the you know, performance improvements? So just by moving to the R5s, overall, they should be able to deliver up to 20% increased CPU performance over the R5, over the R4s. Mm-hmm. And it supports a new AVX5112 instruction set by Intel. So if you know if your applications can make use of this, you're going to see additional performance. Nice. And in terms of like throughput and so forth, what are we sort of seeing there on the EBS front? So on the EBS front, we are seeing higher peak throughput for smaller sizes mm-hmm. of R5 instances up to 3.5 gigabits per second. But I think really importantly, the ephemeral storage is now NVMe-based. So we are now offering up to 3.6 terabytes of NVMe-based SSD local storage. Very nice. Okay, so um, and from a, you know the kind of range of uh, configurations, so how many vCPUs so they do I range from two CPUs mm-hmm. and 16 gigs of RAM and 10 gigabits of networking all the way through to 96 vCPUs and 768 gigabytes of RAM and 25 gig networking. Wow. That's a, that's a fair bit of throughput, by the way. And it uh, is yeah, it's great. A fair bit of throughput. And you yep. touch on, you know, serverless. Uh, obviously, serverless um, has to run on a server somewhere, right? And uh, so we had a family... Um, called the T2s for, for quite a while now. And uh, they had this really interesting thing where uh, you could actually burst up to a certain CPU cycle. And we've got a new generation that we, we've also announced. So did you want to talk to us about the T3s and uh, how they kind of compare to the T2s and what they actually are? So the T3s is really, I think, where the rubber hits the road for most customers. You know, it is perfect for a plethora of workloads from dev and test, maybe microservices, even 
database engine, you know, small and medium ones, virtual desktops, you know, you name it. And I think the reason behind this is the cost. They offer a low cost to performance ratio that doesn't require for workloads that don't require sustained high CPUs, CPU usage. And it's really this leading price to performance ratio that makes it, you know, the primary go-to choice for many customers using AWS today. So things like, uh, you know, building your a website that occasionally gets traffic uh, or those really bursty workloads, I guess, Shane, right? Is, uh, these are the great use cases. I mean, build boxes, um, you know, code repos, all that kind of stuff. Uh, these are great targets for it. So, so tell us a little bit about um, what's underneath the hood, though. I mean, we've made some changes to um, how the, the hypervisor behaves, and we've also talked about, uh, you know, Nitro and a few things like that. You want to talk us through that? Yeah, so how the T3s differ from the T2s is the T3s are now powered by the AWS Nitro system, which shifts the hypervisor from KVM. And in the T2, it's delivered via hardware acceleration hypervisor. So, you know, you're basically getting you mean t- all you mean the t3. benefits. You mean T3? I mean T3. <laughs> Delivering, you know, all the benefits of the physical compute without, you know, detracting from the hypervisor. They're also based on the latest 2.5 gigahertz Intel scalable Xeon processors, mm-hmm. which you know combined with the Nitro hypervisor delivers up to 30% better price performance improvements over the T2. You know, which is really massive. That is impressive, actually, because uh, you know when you when you're starting out small, uh, you certainly want to have as many cost savings as possible. And by having a lot of the stuff pushed into the hardware now with Nitro, um, yeah, again that you know. That boost in price performance improvement is uh, very awesome for our customers. So yeah, it's another great cost saving. But I think what's really different here, fundamentally between the T2s and T3s, you know, so basically, you know, we said they're f- they're faster. Mm-hmm. But you know, here's a difference. You know, with T2s, it used to require you, as in the customer, to keep an eye on the credits in your bucket. So you know, you would receive a baseline number of credits to begin with you know, to see you through boot and compilation and the instances accumulated credit. Well, with T3 instances, they start in an unlimited mode, you know, giving users the ability to sustain high CPU performance over a desired timeframe whilst keeping costs as low as possible. But when the workload is operating below the baseline threshold, it earns CPU credits. And each CPU credit earned on the T3 gives an opportunity to burst uh, to full performance for a full one minute. But when you're in unlimited mode, if the instance uses up all of its earned credits that it has, you know, traditionally in a T2, the instance would be throttled. But instead, if the instance needs to run at a higher CPU utilization for a prolonged period, it's able to do so with the T3s and you're just charged five cents additional per vCPU hour. And this behavior can be disabled and it can be put back into standard mode so it can operate like a T2. So I can do this uh, after launching or at launch or both? You can do this at both. Yeah, cool, cool. So that means I can actually flip flip the uh, flip the switch and go, hey, I'm running, you know, uh, very bursty workloads, but you know, at this point in time, I now have to, you know, um, run at full CPU clock uh, and max myself out um, to do some extra computation, which could be, you know, a whole bunch of different things. Awesome, cool. So that's one. That's one family. What about the Z series, Shane? What about the the the, the third announcement around uh, the new family of instances? So this is not a new instance type within an existing family. The Z family is a brand new family, you know, to fill another niche. So we've got, you know, EC2 families from, you know, memory optimized, compute optimized, 
uh, GPU-based, FPGA, etc. So we're now adding a new family, the Z series. So the Z series are based on the Intel Xeon scalable processor, but they are designed for really high single-threaded performance. So they've got sustained core frequencies of up to 4 gigahertz, which as it stands at the moment, is the fastest of any cloud instance. Impressive. So these are des- designed for workloads that require that you know single threaded performance, where you know you can't easily scale out, scale out either into multi threaded or multiple nodes. Hmm. So what would I use these for? Uh, what are the typical use cases? If I got this super high frequency, four gig, up to four gig clock cycles, you know, um, latest um, throughput, um, lots of cores. What are the gaming? What are the options for, for gaming servers or what? Well, you know, it can be for gaming design, certain relational database workloads, uh, you know, electronic design automation. But I think if you read between the lines in a lot of this. These are a good use case when you have a high per core licensing cost, you know, and you can't easily scale out. Okay, okay. So, so what's so the commonality that I'm seeing though between the you know the R5s, the T3s, and the uh, the uh, the Z family is that we're now going down, this, down the actual Nitro system path, right, which uh, helps to eliminate many of the overheads from the hypervisors, and because of pushing into hardware, um, we're getting even greater economies of scale and uh, higher throughput uh, at a lower price point. Um, so that's on the CPU side, but what about the actual um, amounts of RAM? Uh, what, what are we actually at? On the Z1s, yeah. that ranges from 16 to 384 gigs of RAM. So, you know, it's not designed for, you know, it's these aren't the R series. You know, these are for specific use cases here. Mm-hmm. So 16 to 384 gigs of RAM, 2 to 48 vCPUs, and networking based on 10 to 25 gigabits per second. Nice. And uh, there's a little, little, little side note here. I think it's worth adding. And uh, can you maybe hint towards some of the futures for some of these instance families, Shane? So you just mentioned Nitro before, mm. and I think you know a bit of a common theme is for our larger instances based on the Nitro hypervisor. Both the R5s and the Z1s will join our i3s and be available as bare metal in the not too distant future. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, keep watching because uh, this is definitely uh, an interesting evolution where uh, things are becoming a lot more stripped down, a lot more powerful. Uh, uh, the abstractions are disappearing and being pushed into silicon. Uh, some really cool stuff. Uh, it's just over the event horizon. Absolutely. Hey, Pete, mm-hmm. I hear they say all lo- all roads lead to Rome. But in software development, what really is Rome? Uh, I don't know, Shane. It's, uh, so I haven't been to Rome. Uh, it's, it was kind of the Colosseum, right? Uh, <laughs> but in the uh, IT world, um, I think it would be the database. When you think about it, everything has to at some point store that information somewhere. Um, and the trusty good old database, be it uh, relational or NoSQL, seems to be the place where all these things come together. Yeah, and look, I think it's a common pain point for a lot of customers. You know, I was with a uh, very large customer over the last few weeks and, you know, trying to solve a tricky problem where effectively they can't scale their database tier very easily. So maybe we need some auto-scaling. We do. Pete, I believe we have some news. <laughs> we do have some news. Well, uh, I'm really pleased to uh, to let you all know that uh, Amazon Aurora, which basically comes in, you know, Postgres and MySQL uh, compliant database engine flavors, um, actually now supports auto-scaling, Shane, which is really, really cool because what that means is it 
basically gives you the ability uh, to um, add and remove, um, you know, replicas in response to basically changing of, uh, you know, the actual demands placed upon the actual database engine. So just like you do with uh, auto-scaling, you know, you would use probably CloudWatch metrics, whether it's CPU or number of connections, uh, to then be able to add or take away capacity uh, on demand, which is exactly what Aurora is actually doing. So imagine yourself now, you know, having, uh, you know, an, uh, an Aurora uh, database because uh, you can now wire up, you know, the minimum and maximum capacity desired uh, that you would actually like to, you know, have your uh, Aurora databases scaled out to um, by simply configuring a CloudWatch metrics, um, having an alarm which fires off once you've particularly reached a certain threshold, be it CPU number of connections, uh, we will for you automatically um, spin up additional nodes, which is pretty impressive. That is really impressive. So what do I do to my application? Do I need to change connection strings? Well, here is the really cool thing because uh, the way we do this, it's a fully managed function uh, and we load balance behind the scenes. That DNS record that you use to connect to, in this case, uh, you know, your, your database uh, remains the same. So from an app developer perspective, um, no, not at all. You just continue to use the same connection string. We do some you know, very clever DNS and load balancing uh, voodoo magic behind the curtain, and your application is done the wiser other than it's still getting its you know, high throughput. Um, and uh, behind the scenes, things are scaling out or scaling down depending on what's actually happening in the actual uh, application um, fabric, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. What I got from that is I need to stop using a host file with hard-coded IPs. And you may not use DNS these days. Shane, Shane. <laughs> we all know that we should be using hard-coded host files. <laughs> you know, there's lots of lots of clever ways of doing DNS, whether it's, uh, you know, running your own DNS server or using Route 53. Uh, you certainly want to think about not hard-coding anything into your applications um, because, uh, you know, for those of you who are now playing with uh, other technologies like, you know, in a microservices space like a service mesh, uh, you will probably be aware that uh, yeah, yeah, hard coding of anything is uh, the, the uh, gone down the path of the dodo. You need to be able to look up at registries, you need to be able to resolve things on demand, uh, and certainly DNS and not host file chain is uh, the way you probably want to tackle that. Mm, service discovery, I think, is what you're describing. Of all different shapes and sizes. But uh, look, I digress. Um, there are some other interesting database things, Shane, that we've... Um, I mean, also announcing and working with our with our colleagues at VMware. And uh, can you share some light perhaps on um, what's happening with uh, some of the announcements that we've yeah, made? Yeah, this just sneaked out a few days ago at VMworld. Mm -hmm. So VMware Cloud and AWS is in the midst of rolling out around the world, and, you know, and features keep coming. So we've got EBS volumes were recently announced. And on the database front, Amazon RDS is now available to be deployed on VMware, not only in AWS, but on-premises as well. So... Hang on, hang on. Did I, did I just hear this right? On-premises. On-premises as RDS. well. So take a few seconds to digest that. Right. So how do I get that? How do I subscribe to that? So at the moment, if you're a VMware user, you can register for the preview today at aws.amazon.com forward slash RDS forward slash VMware. So, you know, it's going to be available soon. But what this really means is, you know, RDS and VMware will automate all the management tasks regardless whether your database is deployed locally or in the cloud and you're going to get all the goodness and benefits you derive from running rds and aws you know such as automated database provisioning operating system and database patching backup point of time restore etc etc plus benefits not available on premises and this is what i think is really awesome 
such as read mm-hmm. replicas and bursting back into the AWS cloud and archival of backups in S3. And, you know, those two issues in a previous life for me would have been amazing. Yeah, you know, being able to auto scale my database read capacity somewhere when I've, you know, run out of capacity on my local on-premises infrastructure and, you know, backups because, you know, they take a lot That's of space. Key. Yeah, and look, the world is is really hybrid, right? I mean, cloud is a new norm. People are using us, um, you know, all over the place. But at the end of the day, there's still some stuff sitting around, um, you know, in you know people's <laughs> under the desks, as you and I have joked about. You know, uh, some of the servers that you used to run in your garage at home, for example, right? Um, there's still going to be some kit lying around, and uh, this announcement really is interesting because it now gives you the option to get many of the benefits that you only would get from AWS in the cloud, uh, now reaching out to the edges. So uh, fascinating stuff, Shane. Stay really tuned. Cool. Stay tuned for some more. So please, uh, if you're interested, go go and sign up for the preview and uh, watch this space. Now, number three, quick win, Shane, I think is you know being able to uh, get more visibility and more telemetry into what you're doing in the cloud. And many of our customers who are just starting out in the cloud um, certainly, you know, experience the free tier, right? And the free tier is really useful because it gives you a, basically a free access for 12 months um, to many, many of our services. I've been watching your 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 screen the other day uh, and saw that we have a new widget, Shane. Can you, can you walk us through what this uh, free tier widget is actually all about and how is it going to help our customers? We do. We do have a new widget called the free tier widget. But three or four years ago, someone said the saying to me, if you aren't keeping score, it's just practice. And I thought about that, right? So, you know, if you don't know what's going on in your backyard, how are you going to manage your environments accordingly? Or, you know, in this scenario here, you know, that was talking about trying to understand the engagement of users. So mm-hmm. if you're not measuring, then, you know, it's just practice because you can't make data-driven decisions. And I think what this free tier widget does, keeping on the cost thread, it enables you to get visibility into where you are on your free tier usage consumption. And we've had customers get you know, a bit of a surprise sometimes because they uh, they may have fired up a few things. And uh, certainly one of the most common ones is uh, they spin up auto-scaling groups and you know, end up you know, killing service owners to see them reappear. So again, that's a, that's a very important rookie mistake that everybody has made, including myself when I first started to use AWS. Um, but yeah, certainly... Uh, some of these other things, some of the other services that are in the free tier can be a little bit hard to measure, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as an example, 1 million Lambda request gigabit seconds, um, 5 gigs of S3 and so on, you know, and I think your mileage will vary based on the service, but the amount of free is generally enough, you know, just to get you started and a taste of what the offering is. So this uh, so this um, widget, Shane, so what will it do for me? So how do I access it? How do I set it up? Um, you know, um, is it, is, you know, where do I all find right. it? So to view where you are on your free to usage, all you need to do is sign into your AWS account and view the account dashboard. So the free tier usage alerts are enabled automatically for individual accounts. But if you're using AWS organizations, you can opt in to the usage alerts on the preferences page on the billing and cost management console. Nice. Nice. Okay, so where are we up to now in terms of the quick wins? Well, I think we're at number four or thereabouts. We are at four. Okay. All right, well, let me add a couple more then. All right. So uh, have you heard of the serverless bot framework? I have not. Tell me about it. Ah, well, let me introduce the uh, AWS serverless bot framework. And essentially, it's um, it's a way of being able to build chatbots, 
um, using Amazon Polly. So you can turn basically, you know, text into a lifelike speech. Um, it basically wires up API gateway for you into your Lambda functions, uh, connects things into DynamoDB and S3 buckets, uh, all with the intention uh, of being able to do things like uh, Lex, so build conversational chatbots in a way that um, you can actually build them so they speak and communicate with your users in a number of different languages. So what this framework does, it actually supports you in building really clever um, conversational chatbots uh, through the launch of a of a uh, uh, cloud formation template, and what it will do is it'll actually help you um, to build all the scaffolding, all the plumbing required uh, to be able to build your chatbot. Now, the cool thing about this is you can actually build chatbots in multiple human languages, so English, French, German, Italian, Portuguese, Russian, and of course Spanish, very popular language. So, a total of seven different languages are supported. Um, so, if you are building a global conversational chatbot, um, you can certainly do that using this framework. Now, what's really fascinating is that when you turn on this framework uh, and deploy it into your account, um, you'll be able to uh, essentially very quickly create um, the, the chatbot itself. The way we actually do this is um, there was actually a configuration file, uh, which you um, uh, upload into an S3 bucket, which we call the brain. Uh, and it's uh, a knowledge.json file. So it's actually a JavaScript object for, format uh, in which you actually describe the actual, um, I guess, the brain. So think of it as the kind of intentions uh, and the uh, the words that you want to use. And what we do is we actually put that through a, um, a bag of words and also a, a, a support vector machine. So these are kind of AI constructs that will actually look at what you've uploaded into the S3 bucket, kicks off a Lambda function, puts it through this... Um, analysis uh, function, which then says, okay, well, these are some of the uh, understandable, uh, you know, conversations that a user may have with the service. And in there, it then wires up those intents with the actual Lambda functions that you have built to handle those particular request chains. So if you want to build a, a multilingual uh, chatbot, um, you certainly can't go past the serverless bot framework. Um, and uh, we take care of much of the heavy lifting for you. Just to be aware, um, you know, we actually have uh, uh, enabled the reporting of this. We have um, a way of actually looking at what's actually how this is being used. You can certainly turn that off uh, in a configuration file. So I highly recommend uh, you take it for a spin. Awesome. And I think that will really save customers a lot of time because, you know, moving into new markets can present challenges. Yeah, and look, when you build your first chatbot, you know, quite often it's, you know, it's the language of choice um, and, you know, it's the evolution of the chatbot over time. Uh, if any of you have had a chance at building those, uh, certainly have a look at um, much of our documentation, which talks about how you want to evolve from a very basic chatbot into a more sophisticated chatbot and certainly providing multi, you know, uh, lingual support across different human languages uh, is kind of right there in the uh, in the ninja category um, around building you know really smart. Yeah, and look, and if you can chatbots. leverage some of the services that AWS offers to provide those heavy lifting, why not? Oh, and look, speaking of heavy lifting, you know, um, you know, have you built an application recently in JavaScript, like Ollie, in a not few lines in of a JavaScript few lines chain? of code? But you know, we'll get there. And I think you know, there's a good segue into Amplify, which is our open source library which Ooh, you know, yeah. helps developers looking to build cloud-connected applications with JavaScript in a really quick and agile manner. You know, and it's a declarative interface that gives developers an ability to perform common tasks in a scalable and secure manner. So 
So Shane, what, what would I use Amplify? I mean, uh, what did they use? Because it's, it's a JavaScript library. It's a set of abstractions that we've had out for a little bit now. Um, but do I do this for mobile, for web? So you when can use, would Amplify I use Amplify for you know an iOS application, Android, JavaScript projects, etc. So you know it's quite flexible. So what do I get out of this? You know, um, we keep joking with all these uh, few lines of JavaScript. <laughs> uh, what does that mean well, in, in the, the context, context of, of Amplify? Amplify? And I look in just a few lines of JavaScript. You know, you could hook API Gateway up to say Amazon Cognito. You know, in just a few lines, which traditionally mm-hmm. might take you know okay. so, a lot more than a few lines. It could be like 20, 30 lines. So you know, it is doing a lot of that heavy lifting. So what is this new announcement around? So we've had the library out for a while. And uh, for those of you who've been following it, we've been adding more and more functionality into Amplify. But um, this particular announcement really is around That's the right. CLI support so, chain. What does that mean for as our As you customers? said, this isn't a new addition to the JavaScript library, but the CLI just really fast tracks the ability to roll out and deploy a project based on AWS Amplify. How would I use the CLI? Um, what are some of the things or configs that I might be changing through the CLI? Uh, changing through the CLI, you know, you might be adding support for S3 or DynamoDB, you know, initial project initialization and scaffolding, user management, analytics, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, it makes it much easier because by installing um, the CLI, which feels very much like what you traditionally used to uh, using our regular CLIs for other services, um, gives you the ability to basically flick and enable, turn things on and off. Uh, like you said, the Cognito user authentication or maybe using a different authentication store. Um, all of that stuff is really simple to change uh, with a one line of command, um, you can actually flip um, different targets, um, consume different services, um, and it writes a lot of the code for you behind yeah. the scenes. So, yeah, yeah it's a very nice extension. Um, and I'd probably even say it's easier than the AWS CLI in a lot of cases because it just simply guides you. You know, do you want to add S3 support as an example? Yes, no. You know, it asks you a variety of questions in which you just answer. And then it will build that scaffolding out for you. So, you know, really simple. In some cases, you don't even need to know the commands. It's going to guide you through the process. That's right. And like everything else that we have, we we always uh, believe, you know, open sourcing is it is very important. So if you go cruise by uh, GitHub uh, and look for AWS uh, Amplify, you'll certainly be able to get um, uh, the source code to the CLI as well. Like many, many of our SDKs and many of our uh, client libraries that are out there, um, they're available for you to have a closer look at, inspect, uh, maybe even extend. And you and can make easily better. install it just using NPM and away you go. All right. So what else have we got in, in a trick bag, Shane? And I think the uh, we're getting close to a couple more things before we have to wrap up for the show. Um, but Redshift, right? Uh, we've got a cool announcement um, around DC1 reserved instances and DC2 reserved instances. You Let's want to walk us through that? Do it. I think this is a bit of a good news story because it is a great, a great story. story. So, you know, hopefully everyone is familiar with Redshift. If you're not, it's our petabyte data scale warehouse in the cloud. We know you can start really small and scale to a petabyte or more. And like EC2, you can start off with either on demand or you can leverage RIs. But, you know, with most IT decisions in life, there are trade-offs, but are there? All right, so here's the good news. So traditionally with RIs, you mm-hmm. constrain to the instance family, but now we're giving you the ability to upgrade your Amazon Redshift DC1 reserved instances to DC2 reserved instances for the remainder of your DC1 turn. That and that's a, a free upgrade, right? completely free upgrade, and you get twice the performance of DC1. Not bad. So so tell me about DC2s then. So uh, 
well, no, what, what's the compelling, compelling performance improvement? So uh, what am I going to get? Why twice so the performance? So improvement twice in, the performance in due to faster DDR4 memory. They're based on newer Xeon processors. They are NVMe-based SSD, so PCI Express, rather than going through like a Northbridge, Southbridge. Um, and because of how these nodes store their data, they offer 30% better storage utilization. Okay. I'm sold. Let, let me do it. So if I was to do this, how difficult is it to actually move from DC1s to DC2s? So it's not that hard. You will need to use the AWS CLO. So it's just the you know AWS Redshift uh, part of the AWS CLO. And nice. And I think you can also do it for the console as well. So for those of you who aren't that familiar with CLI, uh, you can certainly hop on the console and make that shift. Fabulous. All right. All right. There's, there's, a, there's hey, more. The sixth thing. What else have we got in the trick bag? There's more. There's, uh, there's, there's actually another price reduction, and this time it's 50% up, right? So the drop of 50, up, to, up to 50% for all the virtual server plans for, drum roll, LightSail. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. <right? laughs> for LightSail. So uh, how many of you have... Um, had a play with LightSail. Um, I certainly have. Uh, my son, Ethan, also has. In fact, he runs his personal blog on it. What's really cool with LightSail, it's, it's a very fast way to get up and started running a server. So, um, you know, he is now on, he's gone from the $5 a month spent to the $3.50 a month, which is a price reduction for a LightSail Light instance. Um, and what, what this actually gives you is um, an ability to very quickly spin up a server, SSH into it literally from the web browser. Uh, it's entirely, it's, it's a virtual private server offering, if you like, for those of you who are familiar um, using that option. Uh, it's all run by us, uh, basically at AWS Cloud. Um, and starting August 1st, um, the price reductions have actually come in. So you don't have to do anything to get benefits of doing that. We've also added two new larger memory options, both 16 and 32 gig of RAM to the actual existing lineup of servers. And of course, it's you know it's a really quick quick and fast way to get you know a WordPress or a Magenta or a Lamp stack or even a Windows server uh, to be up and running. We very quickly spin those boxes up, and uh, it's available region closest to you now. That is very cool. That? You know, I'm actually need to create a website for a small business, and it's really hard to look past LightSail because it's effectively well, it is a fully fledged VPS. But at the same price of virtual hosting, you know, $3.50 per month. That is fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's cool. Well, look, as always, we're always short on time. So uh, I can't believe we've managed to squeeze into the show, you know, uh, you know, multiple the R5s, the Zs, the T3 uh, instance announcements and the price reductions around light sale, the, you know, being able to use Aurora as, a, you know, <laughs> auto scaling function, you know, having the dashboard visibility from the free tier perspective via the widget, Amplify, serverless uh, bot framework, you know, the DC1 uh, to DC2 Redshift RI upgrades. What a Pretty show. Cool. So there we go. Six quick wins to save you time and money. Indeed. Guys, thanks for joining us uh, in this episode of AWS Tech Chat. Uh, we look forward to having you in the next episode. Signing off, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com.